uh, Roger Miller. And Roger Miller genuinely needs no introduction, so he'll get a short one. <laughs> because because uh, here's the reason why I ask Roger to preach. When I look at somebody who I think has lived their life well, that doesn't mean they did everything right. I mean that when they get to a certain place in life, they are filled with the love of the Lord and the joy of life because of that. That's, I think of you. I, I, there's no better poster child in all the world for what living a life committed to God can look like. And when you're gonna hear, when you hear his story, you'll hear just how true that is. Because it doesn't just, it wasn't just that he's always been this way. This is something that happened to him over the years as the Lord did what only the Lord can. And he came into a place of living in the Lord that brought such enormous joy that now when you think about him, you think about, well, there's a guy that's living life like I'd like to live life. He ministers all the time. He enjoys himself all the time. He loves all the time. This is a guy who's got those rivers of living water flowing out of him. He's going to tell you why and how. So in Jesus' name, welcome. Okay. Um, not sure whether I'm going to sit or I'm going to stand. It's just kind of where I think this is going to go. And it's interesting to know that the title this morning is It's Remembering and Moving Forward. Yep, it's up there. Got to figure that out. Um, I wasn't sure this morning when I came, what should I wear? Should I wear my 501 uh, bell-bottom blue jeans? Because that was part of my life. Should I wear a suit, button-down collar, very conservative part of my life? Should I just wear blue jeans and something casual? Or should I wear my black leather and probably scare half of the people away from this place this morning? But those are different periods in my life. They um, come and they go, but it was a constant road that I began back in the early days of my life to get to where I was or am today. So with that being said, uh, did that come up? Probably not. Oh, that'll help. Yeah, I got it on. Okay. So the verse that we're going to look at this morning is 2 Corinthians 5.17, which states, if anyone belongs to Christ, there is a new creation. The old things have gone, everything is made new. Now, I can honestly say that everything was made new. It didn't take effect the first day I gave my life to Christ, not even 10 years, not even 20 years, probably closer to 30 years before that fullness, and that everything was made new. Not saying some new things didn't come along, but what Kurt said where I show the love, which that's kind of neat because if you would have known me 20, 30 years ago, that would not have been said of me. Um, people that worked for me didn't like me. Um, the wives of people who worked for me didn't like me. I had bomb threats in my mailbox at one point. Um, I was a very nasty sort of guy. 
Um, I was even trying to serve the Lord at some points, and the church people didn't even like me. I mean, one church secretary was actually going to quit because she thought I was this bad guy. And that was before I had the black leather. So yeah, there, um, there was a change in my life from the time I gave my life to Christ and where I am today. And we're going to go through that today. So what we're going to do is, I think, I did the wrong one. Here are two pictures of the same person. And how did this kid turn into this guy? It's a very neat story, or I think it's a neat story, and it's a story of a person that sat on a voyage long ago and didn't really get to the end of that, and I really don't think I'm still to the end of that because we are a constant story. We're living out our story the way that Christ wants us to live it out if we're asking him on a daily basis of what we want to do. So at this point, I'd like to stop Ask Becky, my daughter, to pray for me and pray for another church. Second Timothy 4, 6 says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which, which the Lord the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Lord, we just ask that everybody's hearts are open to what my dad has to say this morning and that we can see how far that you have brought so many of us. Um, I like to lift up House of Refuge in Burien and just be with them this morning as they meet, as they are ministering to so many people in recovery. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Becky. Now, there are probably a lot of people in this church, in this congregation, who are probably trying to figure out how I would get my favorite person into this sermon. Well, I did it. I figured out how to get Dylan. I wanted to wear my Dylan shoes today, but Kathy said, nah, that's probably a bit much. But Dylan, back in his, quote, Christian days, back in the late 70s, early 80s, wrote a song, and the song goes like, um, well, I did it wrong again. Okay, there we go. And it says, you may be a state trooper, you might be a young Turk, you may be the head of some big TV network, you may be rich or poor, you may be blind or lame, you may be living in another country under another name, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So, all of us have to make that choice at some point in our life. Are we going to serve the devil or are we going to serve the Lord? I have kind of flip-flopped back and forth from growing up, serving the Lord, going to church every Sunday, um, being there with my parents. My mother was a church secretary. It was expected of me to be there um, 
and probably for a while that was okay. Then I backed off. Then I kind of went backwards again. So it's been kind of this constant back and forth of being with Christ and not being with Christ. But you have to remember that I grew up in, a, in the times were in the late 60s and the turbulent 60s. Now, 60s were a great time to grow up um, if you were there. A lot of you probably can't understand what the 60s were all about, but it really was a different time to grow up. We as teens, yeah, and, and some of us could say we saw the 60s come and go twice. Not everybody can say that. And some of them can't even remember if they ever remembered the 60s in the first place. And that really is a true statement. But it was a different time. We as a generation at that point were questioning a lot of things. We were questioning authority. We were questioning what we wanted out of life and all those sort of things. And much to the chagrin of probably our parents and the people that were around us at that time. So rebellion seemed to be the watchword of the day at that point. And we all had choices. We had choices to do a lot of different things. Some of which were you could be a good, good, good be with the good crowd or the bad crowd. You could study or not study. You could don't drink or drink. You don't smoke or you smoke. And you have to remember this was really the start of the drug culture in the United States during the 60s. It started out with marijuana, LSD, and then just kept, kept growing. But this was really the start of it. And you could go to church or not go to church. Now, probably up to the age of 14, 15, until I got a car, I was really pretty much on that left-hand side of the curve. But then once I got the car, was able to go out, I ended up being on the right side of that line. Now, I was in the bad crowd. I associated with those people, and one of which was my wife Kathy's sister. Her sister was what I call one of those people that have done anything and everything in her life. But she's struggled through, she's had drugs, she's had been on welfare, she's had three husbands. But you know, I see in her today, and this is many years later, we talked to her this week, and she says, boy, I'm trying to Christianize my family. And I thought, Wow, that's something pretty good from someone who came from that background. Um, the best thing she ever did for me was introduce me to her sister, Kathy, who I, I had no idea, no idea she had a sister at that point. And Kathy tended to be on the left side of that line, or a lot of people thought she was on the left side of that line. <laughs> but no, in reality, she really was. So... She, at that point, started to work on me a little bit in trying to change where I was coming from. 
Now, she was this good Catholic girl, went to Catholic school, so she had a sense of religion, she had a sense of God, and I was this Protestant kid who her parents probably didn't like a whole heck of a lot because I wasn't that Catholic kid, and my mother didn't like me a whole heck of a lot because I was going with this Catholic girl. But the interesting thing about this whole conversion into the Catholicism, because I thought that's what Kathy wanted, was I got a one credit A in college for, for changing over to be a, be a Catholic. And not too many people can say that. So um, it was good in that respect anyhow. And it, and it did get me started in the church life again because I had a sense of religion, a sense of religiosity, by being a reader on Sunday morning, going to church, doing all those sort of things, but still not living up to what God would want for me in my life. According to Dylan, I was serving someone, R.E. the devil, without realizing my need for the Lord. I had no real idea that I needed to serve the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians we read, how may the Lord of peace give the, you peace at all times in every way, the Lord with all of you? Now, I'm kind of reading from my paper here because I had cataract surgery a week and a half ago, and I'm trying to see that. I can kind of see. Well, that helped. It made it a little bigger. Um, I have a little trouble seeing there, so I can kind of squint and look up in here. So I know that the Lord was with me, but I still did not have that need to have him part of my life. And there definitely was really no peace. Then this happened. I met, or I married Kathy in 1968, and we had our first child in 1971 by the name of Sam. And if you notice, I was kind of a little bit of a rebellious kid there yet with the beard. I think there's only been probably about five years in my life that I haven't had one of some sort of shape or size. But that was Kathy and I with, with our son Sam. And it's interesting to note that at about the same time I went back to work at a company where my father worked for a guy um, in a grain elevator. His son and I were pretty good friends. He was a year younger. But Roger, happened to be another Roger, happened to be what we called in that day a Jesus freak. <laughs> yeah, you understand that, don't you? Yeah. And that's really what these, this first wave of Christians, um, the youth in that day were called, when the revival was really happening in the United States, and especially on the West Coast with a lot of music and a lot of other things. But Roger gave me this book by Hal Lindsey called The Late Great Planet Earth. Now, I said, yeah, I don't need to read that, and threw that on the shelf, and Kathy started reading it. And she kind of wondered, hmm, maybe there is something to this this Christ thing. Maybe there is something that I need more. So she started studying and pursuing, and by after reading that, in about 1972, she 
was saved in a cake decorating class on Halloween. Now that's, that's a pretty interesting story in itself. But it, true, right, Kath? Absolutely true. But the interesting part of this story with Roger is I hadn't seen him in probably 40 years. And last year when I went back to Minnesota for my 50th high school reunion, I thought, I really want to know, did this Jesus thing really take hold in, in my buddy? We weren't sure because we didn't really have that contact. So I called him and said, Roger, this is Roger. I'd like to get together with you. I know it's been a while. And he said, yeah, we ought to get together. And I said, well, where shall we meet? And he said, why don't we go out to Culver's and have ice cream? And I thought, hmm, going to Culver's, have ice cream. And I said, Roger, you know if it would have been your dad and my dad, which they did an awful lot, they would have gone to the A&P bar and had a drink and had, had a beer or two. But he said, no, no, don't want to do that. So that kind of gave me that clue at that, for, at that time that maybe it did take. So I went out to Culver's, got off my trike, he showed up, and the first thing out of his mouth was, Roger, how's your life with Christ? Hmm, by golly, I guess it must have took. So we really had a good conversation for probably about an hour and today he is teaching Sunday school in an um, Assembly of God church back in the hometown. So it goes to show that if we share with someone, we don't know where that's going to lead. It led to Kathy becoming a Christian and later on myself becoming a Christian. And... So she first started her pursuit of the Lord at that point. Kathy, after she gave her life to Christ, really had anyone and everyone praying for me. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, I, I went to church. I did all these good things, you know, made a good uh, appearance. But I still really didn't care. And she had these old ladies, these old ladies, prayer warriors, at a fundamental Christian church, fundamental free Methodist church, which I didn't realize when we went there that free Methodism is a whole lot different than United Methodism. Because I grew up in United Methodism, but the free Methodists, mm, pretty fundamental, pretty straight-laced. And I... Um, at that point, just a little side note, we had a membership class, and there were four of us in that membership class. And the minister, about six weeks after we had that class, died. And we, we kind of all thought, God, I wonder if we killed him. Because <laughs> we asked some of the darndest questions I'd ever want, I want to ask somebody. What do you mean we can't have a beer after we mow the lawn? We may be thirsty. What do you mean? You know, all those sort of things. But Evan just kind of hung in there, and he, he got us through all those sort of things. And I think the Sunday I gave my life to Christ at that Free Methodist Church, probably those little old ladies were probably the most surprised people in all the world. I mean, they just couldn't believe it that this guy would go forward and give his life to Christ. So at that point, I really was saved, 
But there is really a difference, a unique, complete difference between being saved and being having Christ as your Savior or having Christ as your Lord and Savior. At that point, he was my Savior, but definitely was not my Lord. And I didn't, prior to this, and I should have said this a little earlier, I didn't feel the need to become a Christian because I didn't want to be part of these ooey gooey Christians. Well, you go into church and they hug you and they smile at you and they shake their hand and ask you if you want coffee. No, I don't want to be that. Well, most of you know me today. What do I really like to do? Go figure. Go figure. But at that point, no, that wasn't part of my life. And I still, however, felt at that point that there was something missing in my life. So I did give my heart to the Lord in 1976. At this point, I was a typical working early 70s dad. And it was the mother's place to raise the family. That's what I thought. That's what I felt. That's pretty much what my generation knew at that point. It was the mother's place. And I was, like I said, I was a very dictatorial leader. Um, even at this point, some of the ladies in our church, again, didn't like me very much from the standpoint that our kids were born, one in the early 70s, one in the mid-70s, one in the late 70s. In the early 70s, a father was expected to be in that um, waiting room. And if God didn't want you to be in that waiting room, he wouldn't have put that in somebody's head to make one. I firmly believe that. And the second one, which was our daughter Stacy, I took the classes, I took all those things, and I thought, well, I can do this. Really don't want to do this. So when Kathy was just about ready to deliver Stacy, I was all suited up, walking around her cart, and as soon as she went into the delivery room, I said, see ya. <laughs> and then the third one, which was Becky, I did see that delivery, and you notice we only have three kids. <laughs> I mean... That was, that was not for me, and I, I didn't really want to do that. And I don't plan on doing that, you know. Let somebody else do that. But the ladies at the church, after Becky was born, I'd go by and these young fathers would be in there. And I was, at that point, a little older father. And I'd see them in there changing the diapers of the kids. And I'd say, Kyle, what are you doing in here? Well, I'm changing the diapers. Well, is your wife here? Well, yeah. Well, then what are you doing in here? That's her job, not your job. Well, that was not one of the smarter moves in my life either. <laughs> so, but that's okay. That, it worked out okay. And now even the kids um, have all said, you're going to change the grandkids' diapers? I said, didn't change yours. Why would I change anybody else's? So such is life. And so I really handled my family in about the same way as I handled everybody else. I was pretty blunt, pretty bulleted, 
and still some of that carries on today. I try not to have that happen, but it still does carry on throughout the day. And this, earlier this year, when I thought I was going to do my sermon earlier this year, I asked my kids, what do you remember about growing up with me as your father? And here are three quotes from the kids. I remember you as a working dad and that you were away a lot. That is true. I was away a lot because that was what I thought was expected to make a good living, to um, do for the family, to do whatever. Another one said, I have such fond memories of my childhood that easily overshadows and I guess apparently blocks out any negativity. And I owe that statement to my wife Kathy. Um, During this period of my life, um, there were times when I didn't want to be home. I didn't love her very much. I just didn't want to be a part of her life because she was in really growing in the Lord at a faster rate than I was. She was in a Bible study that met on Friday nights and started at 6 o'clock. I'd get home at 6.30 from being gone all week. But no, I didn't. I felt she didn't care about me. She cared about all those other people. So it kind of ate at me and ate at me until the point there was a time when I said, you know, I'm not sure whether this is working. I, want, I think I want to leave this relationship. Well, that didn't happen, but we were kind of sort of separated during this period from the standpoint that the plant I ran closed. I got another job in, well, with the same company from not running plants to being a salesperson. And I had to be away pretty much all week. And it was amazing. The two company cars I had, the radios didn't work. And I thought, well, this is kind of weird. But to Kathy, that wasn't weird at all. She went out, bought me a cassette tape, and gave me all these cassettes to listen to. But you know what they were all on? Oh, you got it. They were the Bible. They were the start of the Christian um, genre state at that point because in the early 80s, it was really getting to be a genre at that point. So I ended up having to listen to all that stuff all the time. And that wasn't the only thing that would happen. I stayed most of the time in a Holiday Inn in this town And there were weeks where I would go there, the television didn't work, they'd move me into another room, television didn't work. Finally, I'd say, that's enough. But there always was that Gideon Bible in there. Hmm, amazing how that happened, you know? Just amazing how the um, Lord worked. So with that, that even moved me closer to becoming the person that God wanted me to be. And the last one was, there were times that I can remember Dad being pretty heavy-handed. When he was home, he seemed like tensions were high. And I can assure you that those tensions were very high when I was home. But again, I don't think the kids really remember that as well as I probably do. And at one point back in I believe it would have been early 1992, all the kids happened to be at a church service where I can't remember whether I was 
preaching that morning or whether I was giving a testimony and I felt like I had to ask forgiveness from each one of my three kids for the way that I, I had handled myself. And it was amazing. Really, they all said, we didn't realize you were that bad. So Christ can... <laughs> I realized I was that bad. I think Kathy realized I was that bad. But they didn't. So God did an amazing, amazing, amazing work at that point. So, uh, what did I... Oh, I did that again. What do I do now? Change to that one. Oh, okay. Now what do I... Okay, he's, they're fixing it up for me. I said I wanted to be like Kurt. See, I, he does that every once in a while, dude. <laughs> so, sorry about that, Kurt. Okay, here we go. So, as a baby Christian, like I said, things did not change all that much. In Mark 10, 29 through 30, we read, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Now the part I want to emphasize there is the persecutions. A lot of us always think when we become a Christian that God is going to give us these wonderful things, that God is going to take all of our problems away. Well, let me tell you, that didn't happen in our life. Um, we still had some of those family issues. Um, we had, I lost three different jobs. Each time I lost those jobs, we basically moved without a penny to our name. We moved here to Seattle, and it's a, another really neat story on all that, how that happened, on how I got the job with Dairy Gold. But we had money during the period of time when our kids were going to college, when they were getting married, so God provided, even though there were those persecutions going on. And in fact, one time, um, my CEO told me that I did not <clears throat> get a pretty good-sized bonus. In fact, no bonus at all because of my Christian life. Now, yeah, I probably could have sued him at that point, but I thought, you know, what's the point? So there were those things going on in my life which I believe really made me stronger and made me better at that time. Another one that happened just recently is, and I want to preface it by saying, there's one person in this congregation I really have to say thank you to, and that's um, Paul Weston. Paul has become really my spiritual dad today. Paul has taught, or has been in our life group probably six years, and I believe each one of us have grown from knowing Paul. The one thing that I really grew on was Paul says, find er something in everything, in anything, find what you can be thankful for. Now, sometimes that's pretty hard to do. It's pretty hard to do when your car breaks down, you don't have any money, or if 
when your kids get sick, they aren't getting better. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty tough. Yeah, I'm sure it was pretty tough for Justine to be thankful going through what she was going through the past couple years. One thing that happened earlier this year, I had, or still do, have a rod in this leg that was bothering me from riding my motorcycle. Now, knowing me, that was really a problem. You know, every time I put my feet up on the foot pegs, and I ride like this most of the time, um, that thing would start bouncing on there and start hurting. So I went to the doctor and said, you know, something's really got to be done here. And he said, well, we can take that out. No problem. That'll come out. I said, okay. And I said, well, what's the percentage that it works? He said, well, I've been practicing for 18 years, and I've never had one that hasn't come out. And he's the guy that put the darn thing in there. And he said, with 95% certainty, it'll come out. Well, a 45-minute surgery turned out to be three and a half hours. And guess what? It didn't come out. In fact, when he came out to the waiting room to see Kathy, she said, well, how's Roger doing? And how's the pain going to be? And he said, man, my shoulders are sore. Because he was trying to bounce that thing out. She said, no, no, I was asking about him. But, you know, <laughs> I had to find something at that point to be thankful for. And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, you know, I'm thankful I didn't die on that operating table. I'm thankful I'm still here. I'm thankful I can still walk. It may hurt like crazy, and it did because of the amount of time he took doing it. But now I can be thankful. Guess what? He must have moved it just, just enough that I get on that Harley and put my feet on the foot pegs. Doesn't hurt. Does not hurt. But I drive the car and have to use my um, accelerator a lot. It hurts. But I've got a backup driver, so I'm a happy camper. I got, I got fixed what I needed to get fixed. So with all that going on, what really changed in my life to get to me get me to where I am today? I found my first mentors. I had two mentors back in Batavia, New York, one of which was a guy by the name of Harry Johnson. Harry Johnson was this guy about 60, probably late 60s, who at one point before I knew him weighed over 300 pounds. He, but he led a Bible study at the Ford plant in Wixom. One of the few people that ever did that, and I think probably still to this day, is one of the few people. He kept hearing from the Lord that he needed to lose weight. Well, Harry didn't listen. And finally, Harry had a heart attack. Harry lost a lot of weight, went down to about 150 pounds. But... He could do what he wanted to do. And he was my first um, showing into what I would say a charismatic Christian would be like. He, again, we were in a conservative church, but Harry didn't care. He sat in that third row, that seat, and I can see Harry there yet to this day. If the preacher was saying something that he liked, he'd say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, preach it. And if he really liked it, you could tell because he'd run up and down that aisle and, man, he was just, 
he was quite a guy. But um, I thought he was a little weird at that point. Now, today, eh, I guess I don't think he really is all that weird. Um, and my other mentor was a guy who was probably 15 years my senior who took me under his wing, taught a Bible study. There was another lady and myself who had just given our lives to Christ. And he led us through for probably two years of the Bible just mentoring us to on what God expected of us. So I really have to thank those two guys. And I began daily Bible reading. I became interested in serving. I started, guess where? I was starting to be one of them ooey-gooey Christians, you know. But they all told me that's a really good place to start out because you get to meet people and, you know, all those sort of things. So I said, yeah, let's do it. So that started there. And I also began teaching Sunday school and Wednesday nights. We had Wednesday night um, children's things. And it was quite interesting. They put me in a place where I was able to learn by teaching others. So that's really, and I would like to recommend that to people, that if you really want to grow, that's a great place to do it, is to learn to teach and just study the Word. I've learned a whole lot more in these past two months preparing for today than I probably have in the last year or two. It's amazing what God will show you. So what does that all mean? It means involvement. We all need to be involved. And we also need to find out what we are passionate about and then work in those areas with others with that same passion. It took me a while to figure out where do I really have that passion? What do I really want to do? How do I really want to serve the Lord? Now, there are three areas which I really serve now. Uh, well, one, really. The other two have kind of fallen by the wayside because I think with my serving, and it may not be for someone else, but my serving, in a lot of cases, is a more seasonal type of finding where my passion belongs. But my number one passion, and I think everybody will realize this, is guess where? In the Christian Motorcyclists Association. Um, that's our back patch. I love getting together with these people in black leather who have given their life to Christ, who worship in the Spirit, who pray together, who just truly, truly love the Lord. That's part of being the Christian Motorcyclists Association. But there's a better part to that, and that is going after these people, being the outlaw bikers in this world. And really, they are a lost group that people need to minister to. Now, that's, again, not all that we do, but we do serve them. We serve them in campgrounds. We register them at their um, campouts. We clean their toilets. We give them coffee. We are not part of their group per se a lot of the times. In fact, in the evenings, we pretty much stay away as far as we can. But we are there for a presence, giving the light of Christ into their life. 
Another part of the Christian Ministry Association is bike blessings. This is one of my favorite things that I like to do within the group because what we'll do, we get around a guy with his bike and they can be the baddest of the bad. They won't let you pray for them usually unless they're sick or dying, then you might get a chance. But boy, they really want to have their bike blessed. They want to have that bike stay up straight. They want to um, have it stay nice and shiny and clean. And when you do that, you can always slide in the word of Christ in a little different way, in a kind of a unique way to get that word out. And then we also have CMA Kids, which we minister to the kids, um, which not all are um, kids of CMA members. And then we also minister to racetracks, to four-wheelers, to dirt bikers, all those sort of things. Anything that really has to do with motorcycling or sport-type adventures on wheels. So that's really my big passion at that point. And what's interesting, there's my biggest, our biggest ministry tool right there. That's the dog. It's amazing how Bobby can put people at ease, bring people up, bring, let them stand, talk to us, where we can kind of give them a little bit of the word and earn the right to speak to them late, um, later on giving their life to Christ. So without that little dog, I don't think our ministry would be as good as it is. And yes, I did say her name is Bobby, and guess who she's named after? Dylan. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, you know. And another area where we had a passion, both Kathy and I, was with the Lake Sam Teens. Now, this was a seasonal sort of thing. It was about a three to four year stint with them. We acted as grandparents of kids who at that point, I don't think had a whole lot of really parental influence or grandparental influence. But man, we just fit in right with them, had more fun with them. And to this day, we will see some of those kids, even on the street, wherever. Hey, Grandma. Hey, Grandpa. And it's just really cool that we have a lot more grandkids than the 14 of our own. We probably have 30 or 40 or 50. I don't know. But there's quite a few of them out there. And so we still have those connections. And we really were blessed more than what they were, I believe. My other passion, which I'm still doing today, is threefold mentoring. Um, again, this has been kind of a seasonal sort of thing. I think since we've been here maybe eight or nine years, I'm probably on my fifth or sixth threefold. Now, mine don't tend to last a whole long time. They might. A couple of them did. But I will take a season um, to help young men um, before they get married, um, to kind of tell them what I have learned over the years and what I've learned living with my wife over the past few years. And like I said, uh, the last one was Emmanuel and Joe. Yeah, um, Joe, they were, they were doing that. I started out with Mike um, Weber, 
Um, Mike and I came, became very close, still are to this day. In fact, we're back together now in a threefold. Mike helped me during a period of time when our son left for Germany. He was gone, and Mike was there to help me through that transition as I could kind of call him my son during that time. We could go motorcycling together. We could do all those sort of things. So, Mike, thank you very much. And I gain knowledge from being a multi-generational and knowledge from a younger person, and hopefully they can learn a little bit from an older person. Now, as we kind of wind down today, um, we read in Ephesians, you, you were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all works through all and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. I have never seen a body in my life, and we've been in a lot of different churches, where the oneness is felt like it is here in Lake Sam. If you look around, we have different ethnicities. We have different age groups. We have different monetary things. We have different issues. But you know what? We are all family. We all live together, and through this process of learning my passion, learning what I should do, I have learned that Jesus is now my Lord. We do not, both Kathy and I, we don't even have that stop sign like Kurt talked about two weeks ago. I think it was Kurt that said that. On our door anymore. It's just become second nature. When we go out that door, it's automatic. What do you want us to do today? Who do you want us to meet? Who, what do you want us to say to who? So we're always looking for those, quote, divine, divine appointments as we travel along our way. So with that, I really believe Lake Sam is a unique, eternal family. It is not an accident that he has placed us in a local family to minister together, sojourn together, going, giving, and done in God's wisdom. And that's what we need to do daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Need to ask, what do you want us to do? Personally and as a body. So here are some ways that I think all of us can get involved in Lake Sam. Now, I know a lot of us do a lot of things, but there are still some areas where I think there's some help needed, not necessarily these, but there are other ones. And by doing these sort of things, you can find out where your passion really is, help you to learn, to grow, to find Jesus as your Lord, not just your Savior. So another part that's really near and dear to Kathy in my hearts now, for this season anyway, is the food pantry. Now, we help on that either Thursdays or Friday mornings. That may be more of a season than I want to admit, because those boxes are getting awful darn heavy for an old guy, I'll tell you. 
but we're still doing it. Um, you could be in the ushers or greeters. Uh, again, another great place to get involved, to learn, to, to show what it is to be part of a family. There's steering team. Oh, I did the wrong way again. Steering teams, buildings and ground maintenance. I'm sure Kelly would appreciate that, and so would, so would Julie, I'm sure, that if there was some help in that area. Mentoring. There's always someone who needs to be mentored. Our life story has taught us things that we as Christians should be able to share with other people of like faith or people that are what I like to call pre-Christians. I don't call anybody anymore an unsaved person. I call them a pre-Christian because I'm expecting God to do a great work in them so they are, in my mind, pre-Christians because they are going to become a Christian someday. And the cooking ministry, that's some of the ways you can get involved. And the list can go on. But I would ask that if you really want to help in any area, ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? What do you want me to do? And then go and talk to someone on the staff, and I'm sure they'll put you in some spot. And don't feel bad if at some point you say, hmm, this just isn't working. It's not for me. I had that happen about two years ago. I thought the Lord was putting me into the prayer ministry. Well, it worked pretty well for about six months, and then I thought, no, this isn't really where my passion is. So I came back to the ushers and well, the greeters at that point and really do like that probably more than anything I do here at the church. So what are the benefits? Well, I got... Uh, okay, before we go on... This is in Galatians says, sorry about that. Um, there is now no distinction um, in regard to salvation, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you who believe all are one in Christ Jesus, no one can claim a spiritual superiority. And if you belong to Christ, if you are in him, then you are Abraham's descendants, and heirs according to God's promise. I want us all to be heirs in God's promise. In fact, I even have that on my arm right there, Romans 8, 17, which says, I'm a joint heir with Christ. And I want to remember that every day, and I don't want to do anything that displeases him at that point. So, now, as we come really even closer to the end, here are um, some of the things that, you know, from all this I have learned to trust and ask him to guidance in whatever I do. Now here are some of the comments that my kids gave me about the same time as I asked them to say, what do you remember about me back when? What do you think about me at this point? So the first one is, as I grew up, our relationship became closer. I could see my dad changing. I saw him grow closer to God, which in turn, he seemed to grow closer to my mom and to us kids. 
Another one said, someone who is moral, kind, and loving in the best way he can. And finally, the other one said, I made poor choices in college, and you let me come home to reset. Now, my old nature would have been to say, you know, you made your bed, you live in it, I sent you away to college on your, to the East Coast. I drove a car. I rented a trailer. I got you there. Do what you need to do, but I'm not going to let you come home. Well, that really did change. So in that part of my life, things have really changed. So what are the benefits of being part of Lake Sam? I believe there are safe, there are safety in numbers, Moving forward, um, we have fellowship together, not just on Sunday mornings, but during the week in life groups, threefolds, in the neighborhood groups, in the neighborhoods here on Sunday morning. Now, I don't think I can be a part of that because I just like to move around too much. You know, so, so I'm going to be this guy, maybe the homeless guy, I don't know, that moves around <laughs> from spot to spot because I like to get to know a little more, little few more people. And it encourages us to activate our faith and testimony. So what does that mean? We are united in reaching the world. And that's our purpose. That is our purpose. That's what Kurt and the staff here at Lake Sam have been trying to teach us that we are here united in reaching the world. Not in the old ways of the church, but in the ways that Christ pointed out in the scriptures to be a light into that world. So, my prayer this morning is that each of us will hear from the Holy Spirit and receive a fresh passion for being an active participant in the family of God and the family of Lake Sam. That's my prayer for all of us. I want us to become active members of his body and active members of this body and working together for his good. And it, I'll go right back to where I started. If anyone belongs to Christ, there is a new creation. The old things have gone. Everything is made new. And God did an amazing work in my life, and hopefully that touched somebody this morning to say, hmm, hmm, maybe my story is a little bit the same. And there is hope. There is life after some of the things that I've done where Jesus can become Lord and Savior of your life. And the most important part of that is to become Lord of your life. Thank you very much. Roger, stay there, stay there. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we just, I just wanted you to stay here for a second. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name. This is an example of a man who you transformed his life completely. Even in the telling of the story this morning, I got to hear so many other pieces as we went through this, and there is so much more to the total transformation that you did in Roger's life. And what we want to do is, is that we want to lift that up and we want to say, same with us. 
we all come from different places. We all start at different places. We all take different journeys. But in Jesus' holy and precious name, you're the one that transforms every one of us utterly and completely. You take us from old. You bring us into new. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, as an elder of the church, as a man who stands up here as somebody to be, uh, that I'm literally saying is a person to pattern your life after, in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, please, would you just take our lives? We've had kind of a barbecue chat here, like sitting on the back deck and hearing what a life sounds like. And I'm asking you in Jesus' name that you would make our lives sound like this transformation. From what we were to what you are. In Jesus' holy and precious name, make us new. Thank you, Lord. Love you.